and AM 1620. Welcome to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. Hope you are having a great Saturday here in the Pensacola area. And if you're not, well, you should. So we're going to try to make it a little bit better for you in the next hour with some uh, conversation with a couple of our favorite pop culture prognosticators about everything that's going on in pop culture right now. First of all, joining me as he has been every week for the run of WandaVision, and we'll get to that later on in the show. Please welcome from the Movies Are Terrible channel on YouTube, Jeremy Branch. Julio, thanks, man. I've been uh, really enjoying this, and I can't wait to dive into the episode a little bit later on. Uh, I'm glad to be hanging out with Steve as well. It's been a little while, so this will be a fun show. Well, let's let's give him the intro he deserves. Uh, he is an award-winning filmmaker. He's also the program director for Pensacon. Uh, please welcome back to the show, Steve Wise. Hey, Julio. How you doing? Hey, Jeremy. Hey. Uh, I wanted to have Steve on the show today uh, for a lot of reasons, but I wanted to start with this uh this first segment on the show, uh, talking about some work you've been doing lately, sir. You just got done uh, filming a pilot uh, as director and producer, correct? Uh, that is correct. Yeah. Okay, and so uh, so let's let's hear a little bit. We've heard a little bit about this project on the air before because we actually had one of the stars of the uh, the show, Corin Nemec, back on the uh, on the show back in October. Uh, so this is a project that you worked on with with him and Jason London, correct? Uh, yes, uh, Corin wrote the script for this, and he was also another producer on board, uh, along with myself and uh, and a couple other people. We had, we had a nice producing team, um, but uh, yeah, and, and Corin was one of the leads along with Jason London, so he, he had his hands in pretty much every aspect of the production of this. So, so what is this called, and what's it all about? The show is called Blackwater Blues. It was actually filmed in the Biloxi area of Mississippi, um, but it's about these two brothers who, you know, kind of, uh, you know, ne'er-do-well type of <laughs> type of characters who've been in and out of jail. And uh, one of the brothers, actually played by Corin, uh, has been out for six months now, just, you know, trying to get his life started back again. Their mother... Has, had gone missing at some point. And the grandfather had just passed away and left a note for the two brothers. And in the note were some clues that they feel were leading to solve the mystery of the disappearance of the mother. So this, the pilot that we shot was basically establishing that world and starting the the guys on their journey to try to solve this mystery. And in the process of it, you know, under getting into the underbelly of small town life uh, in the South, um, involving political corruption and drug dealers and motorcycle gangs, and ultimately uh, bigger conspiracies that, uh, that that will play out in the course of the series. Well, that sounds really interesting. How did you how did you come to be involved in this, Steve? Um, actually, I met Corin. I've known Jason a little bit, um, you know, over the last couple of years. But I met Corin actually last October uh, when we did our Halloween fest here, and um, I had done a commercial for Scott Hoverman uh, for his 
three alarm comets in in the Ocean Springs, Mississippi area, um, a number of years ago, and it was. Uh, the concept had been, you know, where uh, someone was thumbing through a comic book and the comic book panels come to life. And that's exactly what they were wanting to do with this show was have it like a graphic novel that was, you know, filmed, that, that comes to life. And so throughout it, we see, you know, different scenes going into a comic book page and then the panel turns into actual video. So that, that was the style that they're going for. So when they saw the commercial I did, they immediately talked to me about coming on board. Um, there was actually another director that was on board initially that, that had been signed. But, um, you know, how things, things go, um, he ended up uh, parting ways with the production. And at that point, I was already on board as a producer and uh, presumably an editor. And then when when... That director walked away. Corn called me up and asked if I would like to take the helm. So, so the previous director's loss is your gain. Correct. <laughs> and, and you know that, that happens all the time with with productions. You know, people come and go. There's a lot of scheduling issues. There's creative conflicts, or you know, differences. I should say. Uh, there's just a number of factors that play into getting the right people in place, and unfortunately. This particular situation it just, you know, it didn't work out for him, and it did work out for me. So it, it was a, it was kind of a lucky break, and, and I was glad to uh, to accept the job. Now, did you say that you're you're editing this too? So you are you into the editing stage now? Uh, we're at the very beginning of it. We're actually we are going to be uh, bringing in some other uh, people in the post production team, but um, right now it's a matter of because we just literally just shot it this week, so it's a matter of going through the footage and seeing you know what takes I like and making notes and then being able to start putting together the material for for the edit. Tell tell people a little bit about the experience of editing it, or excuse me, of shooting it. What's it uh, What's it like being on the set, and what is what does the director do? <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> the director is in charge of the creative vision. Okay, so it now in a TV series, it works a little bit differently than a feature film because for a TV series, a lot of times the creative is already in place. Now, if you're an episodic director you're kind of a plug and play director in some respects because the cast is already set, the locations, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of aspects of the creative that's already in place. And so you come into a working organization and you're just, you're trying to match the style that's already been established and, and basically just trying to get the shots and trying to tell the story for a series pilot. It's a little bit different because you're establishing the tone of the mm. series that moves forward. And as we've seen before in, in a lot of shows, you know, sometimes the, the series takes a, a creative turn, but once you have that kind of that vision established, then from that point on, it, it's a matter of being consistent in, in, in keeping that, that tone. So what happens next with a project like this? I mean, obviously you, you've just finished production. You've still got to go through post-production. Once you're through post-production, what what happens with this? Is this something that people are going to be able to see right away, or or what's what's next for this project? Well, this is a presentation pilot that we we put together, so it's not the full episode. It's kind of like um, 
kind of a truncated episode to be able to show networks and streamers what this what the show is going to look like and basically to be able to establish the chemistry between the characters to establish the locations to establish uh the general plot and and so one of the the executive producer uh, a gentleman by the name of ben easterday who's out of los angeles uh he's been shopping around and so we've got some some networks that are on the hook, and I can't really go into <laughs> a lot of in-depth with, with this, but basically he'll be taking this once it's, it's edited and present it to the different networks for them to get interested in it. And hopefully one of them will say, yes, that will make a cool series. Here's money. I feel like this is the Hollywood version of the I'm Just a Bill uh, Schoolhouse Rock <laughs> song. And if he signs you, then you'll be a show. Pretty much, yeah, pretty much. It's, I mean, it, here again, a TV show works differently than a feature film because no matter what what venue it is or, or how it's presented, it takes money. And so whether it's going to inde- independent investors who believe in it enough to write a check or to take it to a studio who says, yes, you know, let's, we'll put it under our wing, there, it still takes money. And, you know, I'm in the middle of developing a feature film right now. So it's, it's that same type of thing of going after money and trying to make the deals and get the distribution. So you have to have the money. And you also have to have distribution to be able to make that money back. Well, we'll be following along to see what's coming next for Blackwater Blues. Uh, we'll be back with more after the break. And we might even let Jeremy talk when we uh, when we come back. <laughs> You're listening to Let's Go Ben's Call on News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. Sorry that the chairs are all warm I left them here I could have sworn These are my salad days Slowly being eaten away Just another play for today Oh, but I'm proud of you But I'm proud of you Nothing left to make me feel small Luck has left me standing so Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. Welcome back to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. We've got Steve Wise and Jeremy Branch on the line with us talking about everything that's going on in pop culture right now. And uh, we cannot talk about what's going on in pop culture right now without talking about what's coming up on Sunday. And that is, of course, the Golden Globe Awards. Uh, This is uh, one of those big Hollywood self-congratulatory, pat yourself on the back kind of things that... uh, that comes up every year, and uh, let's let's start let's start off, guys, talking about what this award really means to begin with. Uh, and and the I'm just going to say it: what it really means is not a whole lot. <laughs> it's a no. it, it's it's an award that's kind of been given significance by the fact that there's been a big flashy TV presentation built around it. Uh, yeah, exactly, but it's uh, it's presented by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, which, for those who don't know, is 
a, a group of less than 100 people who write about what goes on in Hollywood for foreign publications. Uh, or, or I guess these days it may be foreign websites too. I'm, I'm not sure what the criterion for membership is. Well, uh, and that's the problem that no one really quite knows what the criterion for membership is. Uh, and in fact, there's a big uh, controversy. How, uh, was it the LA Times, Los Angeles Times, um, just did a big expose on it, and which has been a known secret within the industry. I mean, it's been a joke. Even people. Uh, up on stage receiving the awards have joked about the Golden Globes and how it's basically you've got these, a group of people that no one really knows who they are and or why they're part of this membership. And it's a situation where it's pretty much known that to win an award, you have to go and schmooze members of, of it. So mm-hmm. go and have lunch with one of the members and they're happy and then you can get nominated or even win. Now, and now to be fair, you know, the, the part of the reason that this has gained some kind of reputation over the years is, uh, you know, like I said, we have this big flashy TV production. Dick, you know, Dick Clark was the one that came along and said, let's put this on television and make it a make it right. a big thing. And, and that's true of a number of things. You know, the American Music Awards, which are kind of an, an alternate to the Grammys. That was another one that Dick Clark put together. So uh, yeah. any anytime there's like, you know, you've got the big four awards. If there's some knockoff of one of those big four awards, you might look and see Dick Clark's name in there somewhere. <laughs> he had a lot to do with that for some reason. But uh, it's also become this thing where it is seen as a prognosticator. And there's 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 two things about that, uh, Jeremy. You know, one of them is that they do two sets of awards. They do awards for drama and comedy slash musical. So it gives them two opportunities to, to quote-unquote be right on the Oscars. Mm. Uh, and then, um, you know, so so there's that. And then I think th- there is something to these awards bringing some recognition to things that maybe weren't as recognized. And I think that might be a little more true on the TV side than it is on the movie side because this, this is an award that they do for television as well as movies. So it is a little bit different in the Oscars in, in that regard. Uh, but I, there's been a number of, you know, critically acclaimed shows that got a big boost out of uh, either the show or one of the actors winning, uh, winning a Golden Globe. And you can trace that back to things like Jane the Virgin, uh, things like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, uh, and even uh, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Uh, you know, these mm. critically acclaimed shows that, you know, were, were some of them maybe on the verge of not surviving and then a Golden Globe win. Uh, oh, Brooklyn Nine Nine, its first season. Also, that was another one. Uh, you know, it was you know the, kind of teetering there. It won a Golden Globe. It got some recognition, and this, uh, so then the network said, "Okay, well, we're going to keep it going," and it goes on, and you know, it has some success. So there, there's one something the to that. that. Find, Go ahead, Jeremy. One of the things that I find interesting about the Golden Globes is um, it, it's almost more of an outsider perspective. As you had mentioned a little bit ago, it's the Hollywood foreign press as opposed to the uh, actual industry itself, which are the ones that decide the winners for the Oscars. So um, you get a bit more of a broad and perhaps accessible look at a lot of television series and movies. I feel like uh, where there is a level of prestige to the Oscars, there's almost a 
I don't I don't want to undermine it too much, but almost like a tabloid element to the uh, to the Golden Globes in the way that it, it there's a lot of celebrity worship going on where in the academy itself all of these people are peers they're fellow professionals that all work together they all um have that very insider thing so i feel that the oscars are a little more insulated and in a way that's why um so many of the picks are just outside of the wheelhouse of what your average american uh viewers are are watching so um I like the Golden Globes. I think, Julio, one of the last times you and I did a podcast, you had mentioned that uh, it's the one where the celebrities, they cut loose. They get drunk, they have a good time, and they cut up. And so it's it's fun to watch, probably more so than the Oscars. And Tina Fey and Amy Poehler are going to do exceptional jobs. But I was just kind of thinking about the difference between the look from the inside versus that kind of outsider look. And I think that that's why it kind of uh, tends to resonate with people. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's that's one of the fun things about the show for a spectator. And it is also, you get that thing where they kind of go out of their way sometimes to nominate celebrities, whereas the the Academy Awards may look a little more closely at the performance than who the actor Absolutely. is. Uh, the, the Globes like to have their, you know, if, if Julia Roberts made a movie that year, she's going to get a nomination, whether the movie's any good or not, that kind of thing. Yep. Not necessarily Julia Roberts, I'm just pulling a name out of a hat, but... Uh, you know, because I have a hat always by my side while we're doing the show that's got names in it for me to... It's convenient. Yeah, you know, it, it, it really works out. Uh, but it's an interesting point that you uh, that you present about the show, Jeremy, because, yeah, normally that's one of the fun things about the show is the, the celebrities are all there, they're hanging out, they're having dinner, they're drinking, they're socializing in between the... the you know, during the commercial breaks, and it, it's this, like, party atmosphere... I don't know if that's what we're going to have this year because uh, we, you know, we've got this thing that's still going on on called COVID nineteen. Yeah. So it, it, there's a couple of things that are interesting about this. And, and Steve, I'm wondering what you think about this. First of all, they they are bringing back Amy Poehler and Tina Fey as hosts. They have hosted together before, uh, but they're going to do it separately. They're one of them is going to be in New York and one of them is going to be in L.A. Normally, this is a big party in a big ballroom in L.A. Uh, so it's not going to quite be that kind of situation. They'll be in different places on different ends of the, the country still working together and working with, I, I would guess, most likely most nominees and, and most presenters being somewhere separate too. Uh, you know, Of course, they've lined up a bunch of celebrities to present and all that kind of thing. But uh, how do you so think that's going to affect the show? Awards via Zoom? <laughs> Well, I mean, that's kind of what the uh, the last one I watched was the Emmys, and that's sort of what that was in a, in a lot. Of, but yeah. it kind of worked too. It, it, it was it was that was a good solid broadcast and was enjoyable and was interesting. And they had something set up to where I guess they had, I, for lack of a better term, a bunch of Uber drivers roaming around L.A. <laughs> uh, so that they could show up at you know the door of the celebrity that won with the award so they could actually still do a presentation or there'd be some kind of package or something like that. Uh, I know I remember John Oliver being at a, you know, in his desk and, you know, there being a package on his desk that bursts open and then the Emmys inside it. Uh, yeah. I don't know if they put five packages on the desks of all five nominees or how that worked, but they, they coordinated something and they had video setups in you know, everybody's houses and they made it work. Yeah. It's, it's, interesting how um 
they had to be creative during uh, these uncertain times, <laughs> so, as, as all the ads for a while uh, used to say. Um, but yeah, I mean, they have to do what they have to do. You know, it's, it, with the pandemic still going on, to throw all of Hollywood elite, if you will, into one room and have a big party would be kind of uh, sending a bad message. Yeah. Now, now speaking of sending messages, one thing that I really have to give a, a big hand to the Hollywood Foreign Press Association for this year is that because they are not spending as much as they would normally spend on a an Oscars broadcast, they uh. You know, they normally would throw this big lavish party. What they're going to be doing is significantly less expensive than that. Uh, they're turning around and giving that money to charities that are doing work to help people through the pandemic. And oh, that's I, fantastic. Yeah, I think that's amazing. So, you know, as much as we might uh, kid around about this award not meaning anything and this association being dubious, you know, at least at least they're doing something with their, their money and their and their prestige. Jeremy, don't you think that's a great thing? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and because regardless of whether uh, they intend it or not, they end up being huge role models and one of the most influential voices in the country. And, and to Steve's point about it, it setting a bad look and just being bad optics, because oftentimes celebrities do use their platform to, to draw attention to causes. And it would it would just not be a good look to have them all together in one room. So the fact that they're actually taking those proceeds and putting them towards a cause and a, and a fantastic cause at that, it um, kind of reinforces the fact that, uh, you know, positive things can come out of these type of lavish events, these type of things that maybe are for, uh, you know, a very specific group of people. But then if they can do something that contributes to the greater good, all the better for it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, you know we'll, we'll probably spill over into the next segment on this, I'm sure, because uh, just about some of the major nominees that that are out there, and uh, we 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 don't have a lot of time before the next uh, the next uh, commercial break, so I'm just going to quickly run through the best picture nominees, and when we come back, we'll we'll talk about them a little bit more in depth. Uh, for for best picture drama, we have The Father, Mank, Nomadland. Promising Young Woman, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. And for Best Picture Musical Comedy, we have Borat's subsequent movie film, Hamilton, Music, Palm Springs, and The Prom. So an interesting group of nominees here. There's at least uh, one or two of those that are actually not eligible for the Oscar. I know Hamilton, they, they announced even, when, uh, even before it went to the streaming plan that they were going to accept that from considerations for the Academy Awards I guess because it is a filmed version of the Broadway play. I don't, I don't know how that works. I think it should be considered. But anyway, uh, like I said, we've got to take a break. We'll talk more about these when we come back. You're listening to Let's Go Pensacola on News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. Taking you nowhere. Angel, come, 
News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. Welcome back to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. We are talking about the Golden Globes with Steve Wise and Jeremy Branch. And uh, before the break, I gave a quick rundown of the uh, the nominees for Best Picture in both the drama and the comedy category. So, Jeremy, I want to start with you. Are there any of those particular films that you have a, a particular uh, feeling for or excitement about? Or I, I know you you were saying during the break you, you were really, really enthusiastic about that big Sia film, Music. Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. Um <laughs> Uh, it's getting great word of mouth. Never uh, have I seen a movie that's been universally beloved so much as this. I I kind of feel bad for her. Uh, I think she was trying to do a good thing with the movie, but there's a lot of controversy with her portrayal of uh, an autistic character. So I, I do find it interesting that it ended up being on the list despite that. But, you know, you and I talked a couple of weeks back about these best dramas, uh, best picture dramas. I still haven't gone around to watching them. However, I think Promising Young Woman uh, is the one out of all of those that, like, I feel like is the one I'm the most enthusiastic about seeing. I think you said Trial of the Chicago 7 is very good. I'm going to eventually get around to watching all of them. But then on the Best Picture musical comedy side of things, I actually have seen a couple of those. And uh, just for the sake of conversation, I'm actually on the opposite side of the coin as far as Hamilton goes and i just feel that uh producing and directing and editing a film and and doing the same for a stage play are just so fundamentally different that i feel that it could kind of open up the door and set a strange precedent moving forward um that said of all of the movies uh that i have seen which is borat hamilton and palm springs i I think Palm Springs is just a crowd-pleasing, very enjoyable movie that will stand the test of time a little bit better than Borat because Borat, as good as it is and as, as cutting as the satire is, it's very of the time. So while it's very 2020 and very 2021, I wonder if in five years we're even going to want to revisit this hellscape that we're living in right now. So uh, I, I think my money would be on Palm Springs to take home the Golden Globe in that particular category. Well, I, I would argue that we might want to specifically revisit Borat's subsequent movie film in three or four years, uh, just as a cautionary tale, if nothing else. I don't want to get Fair. too much into the politics of it all, but uh, that, that in and of itself may be where I would disagree with you on that. But I want to go back to your point about Hamilton, and I want to ask Steve, who is a filmmaker, uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think this is something that, that deserves or should be considered for a, a major award, given that it is a weird kind of hybrid between stage and, and screen? Um, yeah, I agree with Jeremy. Um, I, I'm not saying that it shouldn't be up for awards because obviously it was a you know, phenomenal production. Mm. But to say it's a movie, um, it, it's a different animal. So, uh, yeah, I can say I can see getting some sort of, you know, nomination for best special or um, something, some other category. But I don't think it belongs in best picture. Yeah, it is going to qualify for the Emmys. So that is, that is out there. So, yeah, there, there's uh, something else. And again, you know, if, if we want to give an award to a, a movie that Leslie Odom Jr. is in, he, he is in music. The, the CFO. I mean, I, <laughs> I would love to see comes back to music. Well, see, I would love to see them do an actual movie of Hamilton as opposed to just a, you know, a film stage production. 
Um, and, and, and again, this is wonderful for people who have not had the opportunity to go and see the stage production because that, you know, that's a whole different animal in itself and is wonderful. And it's great that Disney was able to put that out there for people like me that, you know, we're not traveling to New York, you know, so we're able to see the, the stage production. Fantastic. Do a different adaptation, do a movie and, and see how well it translates to actual film style production. And, and then I would say, yeah, if, if they're successful with that, you know, like what they did with cats. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> I, I suspect we will eventually see, you know, see that happen once, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda has, you know, 9 million other projects that he's working on. Mm -hmm. uh, some of which are in and of themselves, Broadway nominations. Of course, his, uh, his previous play in the Heights has been adapted. It should have been out by now, but it's, you know, we've, there's been that thing called COVID. So at some point yeah. we're going to see the movie version of in the Heights that will be a, traditional film adaptation versus versus just pointing a, it's more than pointing a camera at a stage let's be on let's be frank about that that's that's not well, what, sure yeah. it, but it, but it's definitely more of a tv style because you have multiple cameras that's controlled by a switcher as opposed to a single camera setup to where it you know you're you're trying to do a cinema you know a cinematic uh presentation of the story where this is literally we're broadcasting the play. And so that's, that's why I feel like it's not in the right category. Yeah. And uh, it, this, they, while it's not going to qualify for the Oscars, Hamilton will qualify for the Emmys. So th there is the potential right. for this, this production to win some awards somewhere. Uh, Steve, did and you right have, any, so. did you have any of these, uh, these films other than, other than our discussion of Hamilton, did you have any of these films that you feel a particular connection with? Well, I, I absolutely love Palm Strings, uh, even though it's kind of a, another Groundhog Day type of rehash. It, it, it felt original and fresh, and they did something with that, that template, that format, that was surprising. And it just was a really fun, feel-good movie that also has bite to it. You know, it, it's not playing into, I mean, let's face it, Groundhog Day is kind of cynical in, in a lot of respects, but ultimately it's kind of like a warm and fuzzy where this one kind of kept its cynical uh, edge to it. And, and I appreciated that. Um, on Jeremy's point, as far as Borat, um, I can see Borat walking away with the award simply because it is timely. Five years from now, people may not remember it or remember what it did, but right now, uh, I could see them saying, yes, this is a timely um, commentary on this past year that we just experienced, and we need to award it for uh, for what it accomplished. Well, I, I have a lot of love for the film, and but I also have a lot of love for Palm Springs. I thought that was a great little film, really enjoyed it, and really you know thought winning performances by all three of the main characters, uh, you know, Andy Samberg, uh, Christian Milioti and J.K. Simmons. I thought it was a, a much better film than I thought it was going to be, based on what I, you know what was out there about it. And you know, you could say that means that it's a better film than it has a right to be. I don't know that that's the way right. I put that. Exactly. But uh, but uh, you know, I would love to see that film get some some recognition and some love, whether it be from the Golden Globes or whoever else. I you know, I think it's it's very widely deserving. On the drama side, I've got to say, the only one of these I've seen so far is The Trial of the Chicago 7. 
But that's uh, the only one I've seen too. But also just one of the best movies of the year by far, and just loaded with great performances. And again, weird weird that we're in this situation. But uh, two nominated pictures starring Sasha Baron Cohen, right. uh, who, who plays and Abby he, Hoffman he, in Charles Chicago Seven, and just knocks it out of the park to the extent that oh, wow. yeah. I didn't realize it was him. You know, when the credits rolled, I was like, "Oh yeah, I, I had heard that he was in this," and just forgot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's he's so good, and I would really like to see. Uh, I, I believe he's nominated for the Golden Globe. I, I'm I'm sure he's going to get the Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor as well, and uh, I think uh, very well deserving. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Uh, you know, I wanted to wanted to very quickly run through. You know, we talk about does this have an effect on the Oscar race? Well, we know Hamilton is not going to be in the Oscar race. Yeah. I think it's safe to assume music is probably not going to be in the Oscar race as well. Uh, but, you know, several of these films have, have been in the best picture conversation. Mank, certainly. Nomadland, absolutely. Trial of the Chicago 7. You know, I don't know that we're going to see any of these musical or comedy nominees in the best picture race. Although I'd love for Palm Springs to sneak in there. Uh, I also don't know whether we're going to see uh, The Father or Promising Young Woman in the best picture race. Uh yeah, Promising Young know. Woman has mostly been the the hype has mostly been around Carrie Mulligan's performance and and will most likely get her a Best Actress nomination, uh, but I don't the, the film could slip in there, but you know maybe not. And then the same with the father; it's been a lot about Anthony Hopkins' performance, yeah, and, and uh, not necessarily about the film. But there's a lot of other films out there, and in fact, there there has been a big controversy, and you've seen in some of the other Guild Awards and Critics Awards and things like that, some other films in the in the race that are not in the Golden Globes race. We're talking about things like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. We're talking about Defive yeah. Bloods. Uh, let's just say there's a lot of pictures with uh, with African-American leads that the Golden Globes has seemingly turned their noses up at. And there, right. while there are certainly some acting award nominations, both uh, Chadwick Boseman and Viola Davis have been nominated uh, for lead actor in, in their respective roles in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Uh, you see Riz Ahmed with a Best Actor nomination for Sound of Metal, which uh, he's not African-American, but he is a minority actor. And that's a film that's also had some some discussion of maybe being in the Best Picture category. But, you know, you even get into the musical and comedy uh, nominations and, uh, man, that's a bunch of white looking people. But sure, we, are, we are coming up on a break here, guys. We'll be back in a minute with more. You're listening to Let's Go Pensacola on News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. Sparky, too. 
<laughs> News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. Welcome back to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. And yes, if you couldn't tell from that uh, that little musical outburst, it is time to enter into our weekly WandaVision discussion. And, and that's been the, the hit of the moment. If that, do, if that song does not win an Emmy when it's eligible for, for best original song, we vociferously protest. I absolutely love that song. I think it's just, it's just hysterical. <laughs> it's great when something can lock into that, and it's even greater when something can lock into that and still be entertaining and still be good. I mean, this has yeah. just been a really, really well-run, well-plotted, well— I have no no limit to the superlatives for this show. I think it's 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 doing a great job. I think it deserves to be— Considered, uh, you know, when once we, like I said, when we get around to Emmy Award time, I think it will deserve to be considered, you know, for things like best drama series, or they may consider it a mini series. I don't know how they're going to work with that, but uh, you know, and some acting awards. You know, Elizabeth Olsen is just killing it in this, and uh, yeah, she is, and so is Catherine Hahn. You know, uh, mm-hmm. there, there's just everything is so good about the show. But I, I want to get into this week's episode. We'll go ahead and put the spoiler warning up. So we we start yep. out this episode finding out a little bit about Agatha, but then what we really find out is finally what's really going on with Westview. What what yeah. did this? What caused this? And uh, it's been an interesting episode because we saw some of the sitcom worlds, but not in the way that we've seen them. We didn't, there was no theme song this time. It was very much rooted in in the real world. Uh, and you had the, the this travel back through Wanda's history and even found that some of the things that we've seen of Wanda's history weren't what we thought they were. Uh, right. That that was interesting. So so Jeremy, I'm going to give you a chance to 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 go here. What what was your biggest surprise of the episode? There were this to me. This was the most uh, <laughs> high of highs and low of lows. Uh, I shout out to Mick Garris. I didn't realize that he actually wrote the uh, beginning of this episode. I was surprised when we ended up in Hocus Pocus land. That was. Uh, <laughs> Unexpected. <laughs> I uh, I don't know how I feel about that. It's it's very unusual to me to have that aesthetic in the MCU. Okay. On the flip side of that, seeing the scene where Wanda went to uh, retrieve Vision or to at least see him and kind of have some sense of closure, that was powerful and very dark and um, it just a ballsy move to see Vision kind of. Uh, vivisected or dissected on the table like that. It's a really kind of shocking image, and I think it does harken back to uh, to a panel that I saw in regards to one of the previous episodes. They actually pretty much recreated it for this particular episode. Seeing white suit vision at the end, that's the version of vision that I grew up with. Um, in particular, there was Captain America and the Avengers. It was a stand-up arcade game. Oh, yeah. And I would always pick Vision back then. So uh, that, that to me, is the instantly recognizable version of the character. Um, they went a little bit in-game with it, right? They, they started kind of revisiting the history of the MCU from slightly different angles or maybe moments that we didn't catch in the original films. And I like that, although I will say it does kind of feel like they're reaching into the bag of tricks and kind of recycling some of the things that we've seen before i'm still very much on the side of this is an amazing show but i think with television and this is symptomatic i believe of all tv is like i like to live in these shows i like to be immersed in it um and 
finding a satisfying conclusion is a very challenging thing to do. So I, I'm starting to wonder how I'm going to feel about the payoff. But I love finding out that the reason why Wanda is so um, into these sitcoms is because growing up, she watched them with her family. I started feeling incredibly nostalgic uh, watching them watch it. And I didn't even grow up on most of those shows. So I thought that was really cool the way they uh, revisited each of the sitcoms that ended up in uh, the show being individual episodes. So there are a lot of things to really love about this, Julio. Well, definitely, you know, humanize Wanda and that she's just like us. She turns to her comfort food television when she yeah. mm-hmm. when, when she needs to. And I, I love the fact that, you know, we've been talking all this time about, oh, well, this is an allusion to that. And this one, this is an allusion to that in, for, in terms of the TV world. Well, they, they just flat out said, yep, that's what it was. Uh, you know, you had the suitcase full of DVDs and it was all the all this sh- series that we were we've been talking about for the past seven weeks. Uh, and, and then you saw actual clips of things like the Dick Van Dyke show and Malcolm in the Middle and, and the Brady Bunch. Uh, so they just they they wore it on the sleeve, as it were. And I really like that. Uh, the whole white suit vision thing, man, that those panels were right out of John Burns run on West Coast Avengers. Uh, and, uh, that was really cool, but I did not expect to see white vision. I did no. not, I did not, I never thought we were going there. <laughs> I, I never thought that we, you know, they've been kind of color, coloring the director as a villain all this time. And it seems like he's actually not the bad guy or not a bad guy. You know, he's very, compa- he was very compassionate towards Wanda, uh, while, you know, still staying within the, the realm of, you know, I'm the director of this organization and I've got to do what I've got to do. It's my duty but he was still very compassionate towards her. And uh, as it turns out, his mission was to revive the vision that hopefully is not a bad thing. I wouldn't think it would be a bad thing. You know, he's, he's a hero. So you know, it was really interesting to see some new coloring of, of, of that. Uh, Steve, what are you, what are your thoughts? What you, would you gear in on this episode? Well, first off, just as a series as a whole, everybody complains about now oh, the Marvel template it's the same old same old it's you know it just all kind of runs together and here for the first time we truly see something original as far as presentation and story structure and i just love that i I really appreciate what they've done with this that they obviously they've taken inspiration from house of m and you know some of the comic books but this is just phenomenal that they gave us something completely unexpected and something that we cannot predict. Now, obviously, there was a lot of predictions that was going on, and some of it uh, ended up panning out. But the the way that this particular episode was constructed, it basically allowed us to now have all the answers that we needed, and most most of the mysteries have been kind of resolved to some degree. <laughs> There's still... What's going on with Pietro? I don't yeah, know that. I'm still wondering if P- if if Pietro, if Evan Peters, I should say, rather than just Pietro, yeah. it was a red herring. You know, I, I think we all, you know, thought, <laughs> oh, bringing in the the Quicksilver from the the Fox X Men movies, this is leading into something, and yeah, maybe it maybe it a, wasn't. Maybe it was just a red herring, like well, like Agatha communism. Kind of hand, hand, Agatha kind of hand waved him in this episode, but we didn't see him in this episode in the last one. We ended with him confronting um, Monica. So, we also yeah, didn't see this week. There's going to be something in the next episode. Now, the next episode is obviously the ending. 
but basically what, what the show has been able to do is, you know, if you look at just the whole series so far, the first three episodes were completely in the sitcom world with, uh, with just a few hints of the outside. Episode four now, it's like, okay, let's reset and let's see what's happening and, and bring everybody up to speed so we understand what was going on. Then we kind of had a mixture of sitcom and reality. Now we're done with sitcom. And this one basically was <laughs> exposition to say, let's answer all the questions that you have up to this point to some degree. And now we understand what this whole show was so we can get to the ending. And next week is going to be the big battle, you know, I essentially think, the big confrontation. I think we still have some some things to come here that, that are not resolved that we're going to get some surprises out of next week. I think the Pietro oh, of sure. it all is <laughs> the Pietro of it all is probably one of those things. Uh, it's worth noting what? that this is the first time that Wanda has actually in the the Marvel Cinematic Universe been addressed as the Scarlet Witch. Correct. That right. so so she's finally getting that name and she's getting it from Agatha. I think there is still a lot of wiggle room in here about Agatha maybe not being the ultimate villain or maybe even Agreed, not even Julio. being maybe not even being a bad guy. Despite the song, you. you know, when you get the song saying in tongue in cheek, "Naughty Agatha," naughty isn't exactly <laughs> evil, you know. So maybe you know, there's right. there's two ways they could go with this. She could be a Loki esque kind of character, or she mm-hmm. could or she could just actually be heroic, and we're not seeing that yet. And I think that's going to come to see in the next episode because the other thing I want to mention, even though she did not appear in this episode and she's mostly been off camera for the entire series. I still don't think Dottie is a red herring. Dottie. I, I think I think the Dottie of it all is going to come to play in this last episode. And, uh, and, and we'll, we'll see what or who she is. We also still have this big cameo floating around out there or, or appearance <laughs> that Paul Bettany has been teasing about some actor that he's always wanted to work with. So that's got to right. come in this next episode because there's only the well, one. And, and there's also the issue of, where do the children come from, and why was it for yep. the children? That hasn't been answered. We saw yeah, at the end of the episode, Agatha had you know the children kind of you know captured there, but why? What was the purpose of that? And you know, for the comic book, there was a specific reason why the children were created. Whether that plays out this way or not, we still could see the the ultimate big bad being Mephisto and. Uh, um, if it if it plays out that way, then cool, you know. But there, there, there's a lot of different ways that this show could go. But but we still have to have Monica come in and save the day. We got Darcy that's out there that's going to help save the day. <laughs> we, we've got um, I don't know. There's just this next episode is going to be big. You know, there's just a lot of yeah. stuff that has, and it, it's going to lead into in one way or another into Doctor Strange. Well, we will have to see what happens next week, and we will definitely discuss it next week. Uh, Steve and Jeremy, thanks so much for your time this week. Uh, we'll be back next week with more. You're listening to Let's Go Pensacola on News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620.